Hello, this is Danny Mazer, and welcome to the Soul Stories Podcast, an extension of Soul Stories, where we host conversations for healing and change. Normally on this podcast, you'd hear different interviews where guests go in-depth with their stories and talk about the different issues and topics that their stories intersect with. We're currently in between seasons of the normal podcast, and in the meantime, we're going to bring you occasional episodes from our Patreon conversations with Chelsea and I, where we talk about different topics that are meaningful to us. And if you'd like to receive bonus content on a weekly basis, you can sign up at patreon.com slash soulstoriesdenver for as little as $3 a month. It comes with a video where we have conversations like the one you're about to listen to, uh, a blog write-up, additional resources, all sorts of goodies. Okay, this week, Chelsea and I talk about the four eyes of oppression. It's a really beautiful conversation, and I hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. Oh, patrons. Hello, welcome back. <laughs> Uh, it's Danny and Chelsea here. We are back with another discussion for the week. This week we are discussing the four eyes of oppression. And what was the video we watched? Uh, it was called the four eyes of oppression. It's like a three minute video that you can find on YouTube. It's by Eliana papers. This is honestly one of the best videos I've seen to explain such an intense concept in such simple language in a linear way in a short time. Like it was impressive to me. Yes, yes, yes. And honestly, I think the four eyes of oppression are, it's really good to learn them. It's really good to uh, like take some time to ingest them. But when they really start to become valuable is when you're out in the world and then they come up. Uh huh. And there's a lot of times where I have noticed them, but I think if I didn't have the vocabulary to describe them, then I probably wouldn't have even known that it was happening. I yeah. wouldn't have identified it as systemic oppression if I hadn't known these terms. So, so. for our audience members who haven't, who don't know what the four eyes are, what are yeah. the four eyes? So um, there are four different eyes of oppression. The first one is institutional. So in the systems that we operate in, it could be in a building, it could be in a workplace, it could be in a club, it could be in our government systems, right? Interesting. In the video, they talked about like media representation. Yeah. They talked about how much uh, women are paid in the workplace. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's like institutional, like the rules that we operate under. Uh-huh. The second one is interpersonal. Uh, so when one person says a microaggression to another person, when, uh, you know, if one person is oppressing another, that's very clearly a form of oppression. And that's also like, I think institutional and interpersonal are the easiest ones to kind of see and notice. Yep. And then there's ideological and ideological oppression is the kind of oppression that the concepts that lead to the other three eyes. Yeah. So... The idea that um, men are naturally smarter than women is part of the ideology which leads to the institutional oppression and the interpersonal oppression. Right, which becomes tricky because our country was founded upon um, white people being above black people, black yes. people being slaves, white men being above white women, and the current, which has led to the current hierarchy that we're experiencing. Right. Yeah. So we have to kind of like trace it back uh, 
to the original ide- ideology sometimes in order to really get to the root of the problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the last one is internalized oppression. And that is when you, when, when oppression is working really well, people will indeed oppress themselves. And I think that's a very interesting concept. Like they buy into the narratives that like they are lesser than. Yes. And um, they make those into self-fulfilling prophecies in their lives. So then people can point and be like, see, they are lesser than because those people are bought into that. Right. Yeah. So there's one example that always comes to mind when I think about this is I met like a five-year-old girl once. And I was working at the museum and I, I asked her why she thinks that bears have fur. And she just completely like froze and was like, oh, I'm just, I'm not a very smart person. So I don't know those things. Mm. And I was like, girl, you're five. Like <laughs> you should be like just wondering and guessing whatever and be completely uninhibited. Right. But she already had some idea that she's not a smart person. At five. Right. Like, who hurt you, kid? I know. What the <laughs> hell? Uh, um, yeah. And like... Something I found interesting yeah. with the internalized one was they talked primarily in the video about um, people of color who've like experienced systemic oppression and ideological and da-da-da-da oppression and being like the ones who... Uh, express internalized oppression. But I was like, I think internalized oppression is expressed in white people in the other way where it's like they have internalized that they are better than. Yes. And I was, I was curious why that wasn't brought up. I have also had conversations about that though, that that is also part of internalized oppression Okay, is like internalized elitism. Right. Uh, and like all kinds of stuff. Like for example, um, you know, historically, we had a lot of white people that got behind the idea of oppressing black people because they themselves were oppressed. And the, like the feeling of being like, well, at least I can be better than someone. Uh You know, like when you are living under a government rule where you are like the, the oppressed lower class, you know, like early Irish immigrants and stuff. Right. Like. And current day lower class white people in rural areas. Yes. Like the, the way, one way to cope with that feeling of being oppressed is to try to oppress other people. Right. You know, like I also think of like abusive husbands are often like feeling like they hate themselves and then they like go and beat their wives. Yeah, James Baldwin, um, I'm, I'm listening to a book where a professor from Yale is analyzing the writings and teachings of James Baldwin, and he's brought this up in several stuff I've engaged with, and he talks about how people turn to power as a way of turning away from themselves and turning away from their own self-hatred. Yeah. And they like enforce these hierarchies and these systems of oppression because they can't stand to f- um, feel what's inside. Right. 
which is I've I've always found that really profound. Yeah, well, and like that makes me think that the good thing about knowing how these four systems work, these four eyes, and how they like are interlocking and how they are all connected to each other, is if you weaken one form of oppression, it affects the other three. Oh, interesting. What do you mean? Like, if somebody liberates themselves from their internalized oppression, for example, um, they will be a lot less willing to accept interpersonal oppression. Uh-huh. And a lot less willing to work in a in a institution that has institutional oppression. Yeah. And, uh, set the rules in their own institutions. Exactly. Yeah. They'll, they'll find their own way, you know? And, um, I mean, that's a really hard thing to do in a lot of cases, of course, but, uh, but I do think that it, any one of those four things gets weakened. It weakens all of them. And if any one of those four things gets strengthened, it also unfortunately strengthens all of them. Yeah. You know, and that's why, like, like people say, like, oh, it's just a joke, whatever. Why you make such a big deal out of it? But actually, it can things like social norms and jokes and conversations actually can have real institutional impacts. Yeah, no, I I hundred percent believe that, and um, I think that is imp- that is a reason why I think we need to continue to have this cultural reckoning with comedy. And with um, language and just how people interact with each other in the world. Yeah, yeah. I was just talking to a woman um, who is one of my mentors at work. And she is Dene and Lakota. And um, another tribe, too, that I apologize. I can't think of right now. Um, And she did work for like a long time. Like said she was a little girl. She was advocating for the abolition of native American mascots in sports. Uh And just last week in the state of Colorado, all K-12 schools have been mandated that they have to get rid of their native American mascots by June of next year, or else they'll be charged like 25 thousand dollars a month whoa yeah i honestly didn't even know that happened yeah i know it's not really i haven't really seen it much in the news but it was a really big step for like the native american communities here yeah and she was huge she was saying like this isn't just about kids in schools like when those kids in schools grow up and they become senators it is hard for me to get senators to take me seriously as an indigenous woman, because they see me as a mascot. They see me as a cartoon character. Oh, that's an interesting argument. I don't think I've ever heard somebody say it like that. Yeah. So, like, it has all of these bigger implications. You know, I, I, I kind of want to go back to um, examples of internalized oppression. And one that always sticks in my mind that I think is really interesting is they did this study with male and female authors. Um, and I forget exactly how the study went, but essentially they presented a group of books that were written by female authors and books written by male authors to a a group of participants. Uh Uh-huh. And they like changed them around and like messed with the participants as every study does. And they found that if 
um, the book was presented as a male author, they were like 75% more likely to consider it uh, a work of genius or like a great book that they would want to read. But if it was presented as a female author, then, you know, the opposite effect. And what I think is so fascinating about that is writing is a world where we can really objectively see institute like internalized oppression take place does that make sense yeah totally and you know uh, to be completely honest i could see somebody i could see myself falling into that trap if i was in that study and it's not something i'm proud of or i do intentionally but i think that i have a lot of subconscious bias yeah i i totally agree i find myself with podcast hosts uh-huh because i listen to a lot of male podcast hosts yeah and when i hear a female podcast host I all of a sudden like start questioning what they're saying, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, wait, what am I doing right now? You know? Right. Yeah. Um, Like it's easier to like be like, well, I don't know. Maybe I'm more of an expert than you are. Right. Yeah. There's a a lot of like funny examples of things like that on the internet of people being like, well, if you actually knew about astrophysics and then the person's like, I'm an astrophysicist, <laughs> uh, but it's just, yeah. I mean, there's just a long ways to go with that stuff. We're all swimming in it. And sometimes it feels like it's invisible, you know? And I don't, I think the hard part of right now is like admitting you're in, it's like, we're all swimming in it, but we don't want to admit that we're swimming in it and admitting that we fall prey to racism and sexism and transphobia and homophobia um, is like, admitting that we're swimming in the same waters as other people. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Cause it's not necessarily a personal attack on you Yeah. just to acknowledge that you will have bias. Yeah. And it, it, I think it is hard because we're in a culture of snippets. And if you say the wrong thing, you can be, you can be like targeted pretty quickly. Yeah. And so like that also is, as much as it is positive for calling out, um, it also can be against calling yourself out and it can be against like working through your own stuff. Cause yeah. you, you don't want to, I mean, nobody wants to be excluded, you know, yeah. there's this thing trending on TikTok right now and it's Joe Biden was giving a speech and he was basically saying like, Oh, I think he was using the word doom. He was using very strong language and he was like the United States is in like basically dire straits right now. Like we're not in a good way and we have to do something about this. And it's not just because of black people. And he said that what he meant was like, it's not just the thing, like the suffering of black people. There's a lot of other problems too, but it's been chopped right there at the end of that line. Oh, and so what's trending on, on TikTok is just him saying we have a lot of problems and it's not just the black people. Oh. <laughs> and like it was just a, like a verbal goof up, you know, maybe also some subconscious bias, you know. Uh, yeah. But sp- that's just speaking of your like wor- our world of snippets, you know. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, that's good, though, that they're in some way like they're they're like putting that on blast in like kind of a funny way it sounds like 
Yeah. Is what I'm imagining from TikTok. It's it's like basically a bunch of black people reacting to it, just listening to it, and then they like look shocked, and then um, the loading, you know, the loading sign on like your computer, uh-huh. like a loading sign co- <laughs> goes on, and it's just them frozen, like what, <laughs> like processing. That's hilarious. <laughs> um, I saw an interesting TikTok on my youtube feed because tiktok wants to be on every other tiktok's on youtube okay tiktok is on every social media it is on my instagram feed it's on my facebook feed it's on my youtube feed anyways it was like it was a black man asking do you not like me or are you afraid this is for it says this is for the white people only do you not like me or are you afraid that i don't like you and then it's interesting it's this um, white guy with long, flowy hair responding. Uh-huh. Um, and he he goes on a rant about how white people are taught to fear black people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And how he, go- he goes on this long rant about that. And he's like really making white people sound sympathetic and like that underneath the hatred is just white people being afraid of black people. Um, and like all the things he has to overcome with his black friends. Cause he has a lot of black friends and I appreciated his vulnerability, but I also felt a little bit of like crocodile tears in it where I was like, but white people are also taught that they're better than black people. It's not just yeah. fear. And I think it's easy for white people to be like, actually, we're just afraid, you know, cause that makes you sound sympathetic. Yeah. Well, I mean, to be frank, I think the fear is part of the hatred because black people are painted as violent, wild, animalistic, you know, yeah. people. Right. Um, you know, the old older versions of those stories is like that their their tribalism makes them somehow unpredictably scary right. and dangerous. Like, right. like it's like that marijuana movie. The famous yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. Reefer Madness. Yeah. Um, or like the modern version of that is like gangs and like urban criminals and right. stuff like, like that. Did you hear that rap song? Yeah. Which yeah. is like so disproportionately represented of like black violence versus white violence on television. Right. White um, violence is always like, always ends up being like, well, you know, he had trauma. He had problems. Right. Like there's always a reason behind it. Yeah. But there's never a reason behind like black it's violence. their it's their communities it's their cultures right. right or they find some way to paint them as a criminal yeah but they don't find a way to ever say what his, people's stories were they don't talk about their stories they just paint them as like i mean right. with george floyd they just constantly painted like well he had this on his record and he had this on his record he had this on his record and then these like white guys who you know are in court for raping I like, well, they had so much potential, you know? They yeah. Had so, well, oh, he had his life ripped away from him. Right. How could you take away? Yeah. 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 I mean, and yeah, I think that's that, institutional. Yeah. That's, nice bring back. Nice bring that's back. That's institutional oppression. Right. And it's interpersonal. Yep. And I think that people also perpetuate the stereotypes that they're given and it becomes internalized. Yeah. And that's why it's like, is there any way to overcome ideological oppression besides starting a new society? 
there has to be. Is I there mean, a way to do it in America currently? And that's what I'm like struggling with cynically. Oh my God. Absolutely. I mean, things are constantly changing and I think that hope is really important. But the baseline, things are constantly changing, but is the, can the baseline change? I think it can. Okay. I really do. I think that like with self-examination, I mean, every new person born has this opportunity, you know? Yeah. And like, I feel that I would, I inherited a lot less racism than my grandparents. Yeah. You know? So I think that there is change being made. I do think it, I really believe that this critical race theory in schools thing is a huge battle to win. Yes. I think it's a huge battle to win. And I think that's why Republicans are so afraid of it. It's really scary for people to, I mean, bringing back to what we were talking about a minute ago, this idea of like, I'm not a bad person. Right. So like, how dare you accuse me of anything ever, you know? Right. Uh, and like, we just have to get past that. I was recently in a conversation with some um, older folks and they, and there was like a group of us and somebody was like, we never talk about religion and politics, you know? And like, that's, I think that's like the older way. It's like, you still just don't address it. Don't talk about it with yeah. people that you, you know, love because you don't want to have any fights. You don't want to have any problems. Right. Um, but, but yeah, I think that the more that things are out in the open and the conversation kind of has to happen and the more that people use, the people who are most privileged are the, have the best access to be able to just completely avoid these problems. Right. Yes. Like they don't necessarily have to talk about it the way like other groups do. Um, but you know, now this year happened, this past year happened and like people are really confronting it. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. I, I do think that is the positive part of like where the media is at right now. I know everyone's really mad at the media, but it's like, it is kind of a 360 surround sound of like, pay attention to this shit, pay attention to this shit. Yeah. Pay attention to this shit. Even if you're uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, you know, it was interesting. I hear, I hear like this other argument popping up that like, well, you know what, if I don't, I don't want to like, I don't think we should address these issues. I don't think racism exists. I think people should, I mean, that's not the new argument. The new argument is that I'm hearing is like a libertarian view. Like you take care of yourself. I'll take care of mine. And as long as I don't, you don't step on my toes, I won't step on your toes kind of thing. And you know, it sounds okay, but like something I, heard from one of these talking heads was like yeah and like charity and donation not taxes and we should you know and because i want to be able to donate to causes i believe in. yeah exactly that's the problem and i'm like <laughs> yeah and i'm like that's exactly it is like your the causes you believe in are causes you identify with which tend to be privileged people right who are struggling so the money stays within there yeah and that's why we kind of need to rip the money from your hands a little bit yeah and we need to figure out how to do this for more people than your community. Yes. This person, Ben Shapiro, is an Orthodox Jewish person who is surrounded by Orthodox Jewish people. Also, he said, 
the most compassionate thing you could do for somebody is hire somebody. And I was like, I can think of a lot of compassionate things you could do for people that doesn't involve hiring somebody for a job. Anyways. It's a very capitalistic perspective, I guess. Super <laughs> capitalistic. Yeah, that's that's interesting. I mean I don't I don't disagree that it's compassionate to give somebody a job. I just feel like I don't know. I'm a little bit on a tangent right now, and the thing I want to bring back, it, what you just referenced, um, is the good person thing. Yeah. Is people not wanting to admit that they're not good people. And what I, wh- that's why I think mental health intersects with this so much, is because if yeah. you're not mentally healthy of any race or creed, to engage in this kind of conversation and to work through your internalized oppression. There's like shame. There's a lot of shame. There's also like, like you're already dealing with shame from trauma that was individualized in your life. Yeah. And if you can't heal yourself, how can you even look outside around you? Right. And I think we're dealing with a lot of trauma nationally. Yeah. That leads to these distraction, distracting conversations that don't allow us to address historic social trauma right it's like i feel like one of the founding con like founding modus operandi of the united states is i don't know what it means it's like you know like you know the way that we behave in the united states is that Um, i am enjoying my life i am comfortable and i have a right to not see the impacts that I am having on other people. Yes. And as long as I don't know about those impacts, then it's not my problem and I don't need to be held and shouldn't be held accountable to them. Yeah. And so when people start pointing out those impacts, then you get really mad because then you have, then you all of a sudden you're responsible to do something about it. Yep. And I don't (laughs) think people, I think it starts in your everyday interactions. I think people generally don't want to feel their impact in what they say or do. I think that's also why people worship Donald Trump so much is because he says things with like we, people find these way, find these like figures, these narcissists who like Kanye West who say whatever they want, whenever they want. And there's this like this weird fantasy we have that we can do and say whatever we want and it'll have no consequence. Yeah. Um, it's kind of tangential, but I, uh, an interesting nugget, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've been thinking about how, like, one of the reasons why I think we don't often address people that we feel hurt by or whatever, you know, is that, at least for me, this is how it goes. Like, if I have a conflict with someone, and usually, like, like let's say, like, I'm, I'm talking to someone, and then they just, like, start to, like, get angry and, like, get a little ragey, you know? My first response is de-escalate and get solution-oriented immediately. Uh-huh. I put all my energy into that. Yeah. And then, like, trying to get us into a place of, like, peaceful communication and then, like, try to solve the immediate problem. Uh-huh. And then it's really not until after the fact that I start to realize how bothered I am by the interaction. Uh-huh. It's not in the moment. It's like the next day when I'm walking home or whatever after like I recently had this happen at work where I had a conflict with someone and like I immediately went into like de-escalation mode and like tried to just like 
get into like a good place of common understanding and didn't say anything about how I was affected because I could tell that they were not in a place for that. Uh-huh. And honestly, I wasn't even like feeling my feelings. I was yeah. just like, I have to fix this problem. And then I thought I was fine. And somebody checked in with me right after. And I was like, yeah, it's fine. But then like 24 hours later, I was like, actually, not fine. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it's hard to go back. So like for anyone who's listening who wants my advice, my advice is like, do the thing of going back to yeah. the person. Yeah. That's like the scariest, hardest thing and like really good to do. Yeah. It's real. It's really challenging to enter a feedback conversation. Yeah. Whether you're giving it or receiving it. Yeah, totally. It's like putting your whole self on the line. Yeah. It's also, I mean, I'm sure your way of dealing with conflict somehow developed from your family life and how you grew up. And I feel like a lot of us deal with that in that way where it's like, we have these ways of either creating conflict or avoiding conflict, mm-hmm. or we just struggle to deal with conflict <coughs> and we start struggle to like address it like healthy. It's, I mean, it's one of the scariest things to do in a human totally. interaction. And like, I was really taught that like the person who, if you're in a fight with someone, whoever's the person who's like rising above and not being affected by it is like kind of the winner of the fight. Yeah. You know what? I just had this experience with, um, me and ocean were watching, um, Les Mis. Oh, I haven't seen it. Um, Uh and there's, uh, there's this point where the protagonist is like, you know, for their sake, don't tell them the truth, you know? Uh-huh. And I feel like we grew up, I, or I, I don't know. I feel like I grew up with so many movies where like, there's this martyrdom to the main character where they're like, I don't want to, we won't tell them the truth cause it will hurt them. You know? And oh they, yeah. That is a thing in movies. It's such a thing in movies. And I was like, I wonder if that's also why we struggle. It's like, that's the narrative. That's like the Jesus on the cross thing. It's like, yeah, I wouldn't want to give you my burden. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How interesting. Like Ariel and the little mermaid doesn't tell Prince Eric. Really? I yeah. I don't remember little mermaid. Yeah. Her whole thing is like, he can't know she's actually a mermaid. Yeah. It's like, it's like compassionate to not pe- tell people the truth. Yeah. In these movies. Yeah. Or like Aladdin, his whole thing is like, she can't know I'm not really a prince. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's so interesting. Yeah. (laughs) What a weird trope. It's such a weird trope. And it's like, I think the thing I, I have to constantly teach myself is like, I am not telling people, um, how I was impacted in this situation to make the situation about myself. I'm telling them how I was impacted in the situation to a share myself with them. Yeah. To become closer with them. Cause that's how you build a relationship is people knowing how they feel in each other's relationship. Yeah. And B to like, like shed self awareness for that person. Yeah. And it's, it's not like a winning or losing mentality or like a narcissist or make it about me. It's like, which I think that's why people don't do that stuff. They like figure out ways to convince them. Yeah. But I think if you go into mentality, like I'm doing this to teach you, Julia Munson, one of our mentors taught us this. Yeah. I'm going into this conversation to teach you about myself. It's a way lighter thing. Yeah. To go into it with. Yeah. 
Yeah, because you, you can't expect people to know how you feel. You can't expect, and everybody is impacted differently and triggered by different things. Yeah, and it's very empowering to give yourself permission to be like, actually, me sharing how I feel deserves to exist in this space. Uh-huh. And it's actually like important and is going to trump my concern for hurting their feelings. Yeah. I mean, not, I'm not saying you should like go around and be like a jerk to people. You know, other people's feelings matter too. Right. Well, you, you have to say that with the intention of being received or like receiving them too. Receiving them too. Yes. It can't just be like, I'm going to speak my truth, you know? Yeah. It's got to be like, yeah, I speak my truth. What's your truth? Yes. Thank you for that. Yes. And like, I think this is coming back to this concept of like internalized oppression. Uh huh. Yeah. And like honoring ourselves. I find that like all of the work that I do with diversity and equity and inclusion, like it just plays into every area of my life, my relationship with myself, everything, you know? Yeah. That's a good way to put it too. Relationships. If you can do this kind of like you don't have to. And I think I frame it this way. Like you have to do yourself work to get to the DEIA work. But it's like if you do the DAI work, it'll lead you to your self-work. Yes. Like you can start there too. It's all interconnected. Yeah. 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 So true. Well, I think racism's over. We did it. <laughs> we solved it. Man, we got to stop doing these talks. The world's going to just run out of problems and everyone's going to get bored. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, Woo. Thanks for listening, everybody. As always, we love you. Comment, engage. Tell us what you think. Have a great week. Have a great week. Thanks for listening to the Soul Stories podcast. It means a lot to us that you take time out of your day to engage with this conversation. If you have feedback for us, uh, email, find us on social media. We'd love to hear your feedback and what you think of it and what topics you'd like for the future and what guests you'd like to hear from. Um, in future podcast seasons. We hope you have a wonderful day. This is Danny and Chelsea signing off.